0: okay i 'm glad you're here we We have a lot of uh, very very deep ideas uh to talk about today and some some kind of uh, out, outrageous kind of um, stuff uh, things that that happened in uh, ancient society that are a little bit shocking and they're equally shocking modern equivalents actually, which are perhaps not as headline making but very pervasive, and and we we have to have insight into them so that we can uh, so that we can address them. Um, and so we're going to talk about Pinchas. We're going to talk about the worship of Baal Peor, what that special activity was, to put it mildly. We're going to talk about um, how Pinchas and how circumcision actually go together, and actually are the antidote or the answer to the worship of Baal Peor, um, which was one of the prevalent uh, ancient um, idol-worshipping practices. And that's on the personal level. We're also going to talk about, on a more cosmic level, this period of time, these 10 weeks that we're in right now, leading up to Rosh Hashanah, and how those are divided up. And so what we're going to build is a model on the macro scale and on the Personal scale to show what our job is in this world and how the world itself can become rectified. So it's a it's a tall order, but um, but Pinchas will be the 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 key to going into it. So before we begin, uh, let's let's see. Should we start with the micro or the macro? (laughs) Any votes? (laughs) <laughs> micro. Okay, good. Okay, so let's, let's, let's go into the micro here. So on a personal level. So, so this is very important. Every person has to understand that the entire universe exists within each individual person. We talk about, on a, on a broader scale, the 10 sphere road. Now, the 10 sphere road, basically, God uses an aspect of his energy. God is absolutely infinite. And he takes an aspect of his life, an aspect of his energy, and he uses it to form the world. That's what it is. You see, the, the Jewish point of view is that, that God completely fills the entire universe, saturates every particle, every atom of the universe. But at the same time, it's not that God equals the universe and the universe equals God. That's actually, believe it or not, a different religion. God fills the entire universe, and then exists dimensions beyond the universe. That's the, that's the Jewish understanding. Okay? So, so, the ten spheroid are those energies that God uses to create the whole world. Now, each individual person has inside them those ten spheroid as well. Which means that each person is a microcosm of the entire universe. Which means, and this is the empowering thought, this is the take home part of all of this, is that whatever you do, even if you're alone, by yourself, in your house, and you put a coin in a tzedakah box, in a charity box, that has ramifications, implications, on the entire universe. Literally. Whatever action you do, whatever self-improvement you make about yourself, reverberates and actually affects the entire structure of the universe because you yourself are a miniature, a microcosm of the universe. So that's, that's an important understanding before we go um, more deeply into this. So now, now we have to address who Pinchas was. So let me just give you the simple contour of the of the account, and then we're going to figure out what Baal Peor was all about. Okay? So, so Bilaam is this like total villainous character who's coming to try to destroy the Jewish people. He's been hired by Balak. Maybe we'll get to Balak later. Balak was the king of Moab, and uh, he hires Bilam to curse the Jews. And Balaam, the, the Talmud says, has had a, a, an extraordinary talent. It's like really kind of way out. He basically understood the nanosecond, literally the nanosecond, when God brought his aspect of judgment into the world. And he was able to, like like a, like a laser beam, focus in on that exact moment when God brought divine judgment into the world and was able to direct that judgment in various places. Meaning to say that he had this awesome power of cursing, of channeling God's judgment specifically down into very targeted areas. A very unusual talent that he had. And he was a he was a great prophet. He was the greatest of the non Jewish prophets. Now, he gets hired to curse the Jews and to destroy the Jews. And he's not successful. Because God has blessed the Jews. And every time he opens up his mouth to curse the Jews, he ends up saying blessings for the Jews. So it's a it's a very it's almost if he wasn't so utterly evil, it would be like a comedy, basically. Now, you should know also, he was the Gilgal, the reincarnation of Lovin, And actually, his roots come from the energy of the snake in the Garden of Eden. So, I mean, Philem was bad. There's, there's nothing redeeming about Philem, you know? So, so, anyway, he fails in his mission. But what he succeeds in doing is getting, tricking the Jews, basically, luring the Jews into worshipping Baal Peor. And then, because of that, God brings down this magepha, like translated as a plague, and 24,000 people are dying. Now keep in mind, just for comparison's sake, with the sin of the golden calf, it says about 3,000 Jews died. So now 24,000 Jews are dying, they're dropping like flies, and sort of like the the the, the person who's kind of like, advancing the interests of Bilaam, although this is a complicated story in and of itself. Hopefully we'll get to it. It's all about reincarnation and soulmates and missed opportunities. It's it's very interesting what's going on with, with Zimri and Cosby. Zimri is the head of the tribe of Shimon, right? And he's having illicit relations with the princess of Moab in a tent, but it's known what he's doing in front of the whole people while this plague is going on, and people are dying all over the place. And so what Pinchas does is he runs into the tent, and again, each one of these points has like 10 or 20 or 30, 40 minutes attached to the details of each one of these points. I'm really summarizing a a huge amount of material right now. Pinchas runs into the tent, skewers the two of them um, in the act, and stops the plague. Okay? So all of this was an extension, and, and God blesses Pinchas to be a Kohen, and his progenitors become the, the high priests, and it's, it's a, it's a big moment. It's a big moment. So, so anyway. As you can see, all of this, the plague started because Billam wasn't able to To curse the Jews. But when he got us to make a mistake, then we brought retribution upon ourselves. And then so he he actually succeeded in a in a roundabout way. Okay, so so he succeeded because we worship this idol of Baal Peor. All right. Now we can get to the scandalous stuff. (laughs) That's all just the historical introduction. To 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 what was going on, but you but you need to know that in order for any of what I'm about to say to make sense. okay. so what was the worship of Baal So the worship of Baal was known as the most disgusting of all the forms of idol worship. And what they would do is they would take this idol and the way you would worship it is by defecating on it and then wiping yourself with this idol. So, so this, even in ancient times, was known as something disgusting. And the story is told, I don't know if it's a Medrash or if it's in the Gomorrah, about a woman uh, back in the day when, when this was prevalent who uh, fell ill. And she decided that she was going to worship every single idol that there was in order that she, at some point, would get it right, and be able to bring a healing unto herself. And when they described to her how that she's supposed to worship Baal Pior, she said, you know what, I'd rather be sick. So, so even back then, it was considered disgusting. Okay, But the idea behind it is actually very, very deep. Now, by the way, what would happen was, the Midianite women would lure the, the children of Israel into these secluded tents, and they would have them do this worship, and then they would have relations, or the Jews would have relations, with the Midianite women. And then that's what sort of like sealed the deal in terms of the the judgment coming down. Okay? That was, that's, the, that's the entirety of it. And to judge um, the Jewish people, for the benefit of the doubt, there, there is an opinion that um, some of the Jewish men thought that they were getting, uh, being very sort of like tricky and intellectual, that, that when they were told to defecate on this idol, they thought that they were actually, as a precondition for sleeping with the women, they actually thought that they were disgracing the idol. They didn't, they didn't, 100% all the time understand, apparently, that that was an act of idol worship in and of itself. So, so, in other words, there was an aspect of them that felt as though they were not worshiping idols. They just wanted to be with the women. And, by the way, the Gomorrah brings down a very interesting um, foundation. And they said that any idol worship that you find among the Jewish men... In uh, ancient times, and you'll see modern-day equivalents of this, was only because the Jewish men wanted to get the cute non-Jewish women and felt that this was the way to do it. In other words, by going to these places where they thought there were uh, attractive women, okay, if they had to worship the whatever it was, you know, that's you know that wasn't their primary interest. So that's that's an interesting thing, you know, when you think of. Certain modern day practices, you see, equivalents to that where the the men are not really being lured by an alien uh, theology so much as a chance to just meet some girls, basically. So that's what I just told you is that's in the Talmud. That's that's not me talking. That's not, you know, some some modern day rabbi, sort of like, you know, his insight. That's that's an ancient kind of like truth. So, So anyway, the question is this. What is going on with the worship of Baal Peor? I mean, this, this is pretty weird. This is a weird practice, you would have to admit. And I heard some very in-depth Kabbalistic explanations, you know, from the Ari and from the, uh, the Alter Rebbe, you know, explaining exactly what the dynamics of this were. But I want to share a different insight, which is from Rab Chaim Shmuel Levitz, which is, which is much more personal and, and much more contemporary. And basically, the idea is that, you know something? There are aspects of ourselves that we have to improve. All of us are works in progress. And we have to look at ourselves As works in progress. You know, Asaph, Jacob's twin brother. Asaph comes from the word asui, which means complete. We know that he was born like really hairy. Like his whole body was like super hairy when he was born. He was born like a little mini grown man, basically. And so they called him asui, which means complete. And this, spiritually speaking, was basically his undoing. Because he saw himself as a finished product from the time that he was born. And when you see yourself as a finished product, then there's no room for improvement. There's no urgency for improvement. But you see, that's not the reality of our existence. The reality of our existence is that God creates us with things that we need to work on. And you can understand that from a number of different levels on a mystical level there's the whole concept of reincarnation. That we're here to fix things from previous lifetimes. And so you're born with your own imperfections, so to speak, that you've inherited from before. But whether you want to get mystical about it or you don't want to get mystical about it, it doesn't really matter. The point is, is that all of us have to understand that there are things about ourselves which are created imperfectly in order for us to improve. Now... You see that in a very compelling way on an anatomical level. And let me just mention the idea just briefly now, and we'll get back to it later. On an anatomical level, a, a, a man is born with what's called an orla. That's the extra flap of skin on the male organ that, that, that gets removed during the act of circumcision, during a bris. And we're going to see how Pinchas connects to all of these aspects of self improvement of the bris of of all of these things, all these things are going to tie together, but we have to just develop it step by step so 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 when you look at a human being and you see how exceedingly complex a human being is, and all the organs and all the things that have to go right in order for a person to live from moment to moment it 's super miraculous, super miraculous and would, would, would a person think for a, a second that God got 99.9% of it right and he, he got it right with women, but, oh, I forgot the extra flap of skin on a man? <laughs> like, it's the most minor little flaw. So, so, so you have to understand that God put it there on purpose. He put that extra thing on purpose there that we cut off in order to show that we have to be partners in completing ourselves. As it says, when God creates Adama Rishon, it says, let us make man. And so everyone wants to know, who was God talking to? Right? No one, no one was there yet. So the answer is, God was talking to us. Let, that, that, that we have to be partners with God in terms of finishing up creation, in terms of perfecting ourselves. But the key point here that we have to understand, and then we're going to get back to Bob Pior in a moment. The key point that we have to understand is that God leaves us as unfinished products so that we should continue working on ourselves and with God in partnership, complete ourselves. So there's going to be aspects of ourselves, character traits, desires, you know, mistaken ideologies, all sorts of things about ourselves that are imperfect on purpose. And then that's our job to bring it to the next level. Okay. Now what's the... So that's, that's what circumcision represents, right? What's the opposite of that? The opposite of that is the worship of Baal Peor. The, worship of the, the, the opposite of that is, you know what? Even my feces are special about me because I'm so great. In other words, even those aspects of myself which are waste matter which ought to be gotten rid of well that's just me and I'm just celebrating me now when you think of it in those terms and now I'm going to use bless you I'm going to use some modern phrases that you may have heard people say um, or maybe we've said them ourselves and now you're going to hear how this ideology of Baal pure, while the practice itself is, is not done today. How the ideology is still practiced today. Does Do any of these things sound familiar? You know what? This is just me. You know what? This is just how I am. You know what? If you don't like it, that's your problem. Because i got to be me. You know what? This is what comes naturally to me. This is natural. What you're talking about, all that ethics stuff, all that character improvement. You know, that doesn't sound natural. I'm about being natural. So does that sound familiar? Let's monish the ideology of Balpur. That's Baal Pior today. That's a person worshiping their own grossness, not understanding not understanding that it's put there to begin with in order to be removed, in order to be elevated. That were made as works in progress on purpose, not to embrace our flaws and mistake and then enshrine them as this great me. I'll give you another example. I heard this from Rabbi Aaron. He says, "You know, when a child um, is is first born, it it, it 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 it's still developing, so it, it it goes in its its diapers, right? Now I know on a personal level when I, I had my first kid, um, and he passed gas for the first time, I was so proud. I was like, this kid's a genius, you know? I really was, this is true. I was like, "No know what, I didn't teach him how to do that, he just kind of, he came up with it, he, he did that all by himself. The kid's amazing, you know, really, that, that was my reaction. Now, if a person is 20, and they're still going in their pants, no one is going to be throwing a party for them. Right. No one is going to be celebrating that. So and so in other words, it's it's a bit of an extreme example. I understand. But but understand that the, the idea behind it, that at a certain point, just saying that this is natural and that's not natural, whatever it is. well, Well, wait a second. Is that really the end of the discussion? Because there are a lot of things that are natural that you're not doing. That you've stopped yourself from doing. Because you understand that there's an aspect of personal refinement that needs to take place. Again, this is, the, this is what's symbolized in the idea of, of the circumcision. The idea that you're created with this extra flap, and you've got to cut it off to complete creation, to be partners with God in terms of finishing yourselves. That we have imperfections in ourselves, intentionally by design, that are there for us to uplift and improve. Now... Now listen to what Pinchas does. Pinchas, this is really this is really interesting. Now, if you look in a if you look at the service for circumcision, okay, in the in the prayer book, uh, you'll see that the very first thing that we say to a baby at the time of the bris is Baruch Abba, which means welcome. By the way, that's the opening of when a couple gets married. Say baruch haba to the chassan, to the groom. And um, so that's the sort of the official kickoff to the, to the bris. And now the next thing that you say is you read a couple of verses from the Torah. And who do you think you read about? Of all the people to read about, you're about to perform a circumcision. Who do you think you read about? The first person is Pinchas. Right? So, that's, that's very striking. Well, why are we reading about Pinchas? Well, uh, on one level, it says on the, on the level of souls, Pinchas zu Eliyahu. Pinchas is Eliyahu. And we know that Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, comes to every bris. Okay? So then, you know what? There's no shortage of Verses in the Torah about Eliyahu. So just go ahead and read a verse about Eliyahu. You know, so, so why are we reading about Pinchas? So, maybe on some very deep level, this is just kind of popping into my head right now. If you want to say that Eliyahu was the reincarnation of Pinchas, Maybe the first thing that we're saying at a bris before the soul, an aspect of one's godly soul enters them at the bris. Maybe we're saying, you know, this child was here before. You know, we're already talking about the previous lifetime before we get to the, Eli- the Eliyahu aspect. We're already talking about the previous lifetime, you know, and that this is an aspect of the fixing that's taking place. Okay, that's deep. All right, let's, let's talk about something else now another aspect of Pinchas, because it is surprising to see him mentioned here. So now let's get back to the story. What happens is, and all the details surrounding this whole thing are so far out, it's, it's really worth going into. So, so, Zimri is the head of the tribe of Shimon. Cosby is the princess, the daughter of the king of Moab. She's being sent on this mission to seduce Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses. So, who knows what, what Cosby looked like? But she's entering into the Israelite camp, right? In order, she's making a beeline to Moshe. Now, you can imagine, 24,000 people are dropping like flies because of the, the, the interactions between the Jewish men and the Midianite women. Now, can you imagine if Moshe Rabbeinu like, were to fall prey to like the daughter of the king of Moab? So, so, so this is what's going on now. Now, most of the people who are dying are from the tribe of Shimon, and they go up to their leader, Zimri, and they say, "Zimri." And now the the Sanhedrin, the the Jewish court, is is sentencing all these people to to death, and and they're like. You've got to protect us. You've got to do something. And so so Zimri, all of a sudden, like, what is he going to do? Right. So he stands up and he sees Cosby, who's on her way to Moshe Rabbeinu. okay, And he. He says to her, you know, where are you going? And she says, "Um, I have to find the most important leader. And so Zimri says, well, I am I am uh, more important than Moshe. And she says, how so? And he says, because he's the head of the tribe of Levi, who is the third born. I'm the head of the tribe of Shimon, who is the second born. So I outrank him. So obviously she didn't know so much. So she she kind of bought the argument. And she sort of like agreed to be with him. Now it says he grabbed her and he took her before Moshe. And he said to Moshe the following thing. Is this woman permitted to me? And if you say no, how is it that you married a Midianite woman yourself? Now, let's just get a little bit of background over here. Moshe's wife was Zipporah, who was, in fact, a Midianite woman. But this was before the Torah was given at Mount Sinai. And everyone converted at Mount Sinai. And the laws of not marrying like that were not in effect yet because the Torah hadn't been given. So Moshe's relationship with Zipporah was 100% permitted. But Moshe gets tongue-tied. At this moment. And the rabbis explain, actually, there's a couple of, there's a very far out explanation why Moshe gets tongue tied. And I think we have to go into it just because it's so amazing. But anyway, let me just give you the classic reasoning before I give you the more way out explanation. Okay? Um, Moshe becomes tongue tied, and the classic explanation is because God was creating an opportunity for Pinchas to become. A hero, basically. So that's why the information at that moment was sort of like denied Moshe, the proper answer. So just in terms of life and understanding life, sometimes like, you know, someone is out on the bench that day, right? So that a substitute can come in and, and, and save the day. So, you know, this, this, this type of um, cause and effect repeats itself in our, in our lives today. And you see the hand of God behind it. So, again, to set the scene, 24,000 people are dying. They're literally, there's a plague. People are dropping like flies. Zimri has just, like, leveled this outrageous argument to Moshe in front of the Jewish people, saying, if this woman, who is 100% not permitted to him, by the way, is not it should be permitted to me because you yourself have done the exact same act. And Moshe can't answer, and the people, it says in the, in, the, in the Torah itself, the people are crying. The people are crying because they're like, everything is falling apart. This is the, the scene that's taking place, okay? Now, now listen to this explanation. This is from the Ishbitzer Rebbe, okay? The Me'a Shaloch. And this is maybe the most widely known Torah of the Ishbitzer Rebbe. Now, now, what happens? What happens? Zimri, the head of the tribe of Shimon, takes Cosby into his tent and starts having relations with her. And by the way, a lot of relations. According to the Gomorrah, they were together 424 times. Now, that is a, a, an exaggeration. And, but the question is, why, why were... Why were the rabbis obviously exaggerating so much? In other words, they were saying that large number on purpose to bring across a point. What was the point? I don't know. <laughs> I don't. But let's just put it this way. They were into it. Right? That, that, that we can say. Like something was going on. That, they, that, 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 that it was described in that way. Okay? That's, by the way, in Gomorrah Sanhedrin, on uh, Pabes, if you want to see it for yourself. Okay? So, um, anyway. So, so, why did Moshe forget? And now Pinchas is about to run in and he's about to act. And we're going to describe that section in a moment. But this is very deep. So the Ishpitzer says the following. Do you know why Moshe didn't respond at that moment? Because he understood, listen to this, he understood that Zimri and Cosby were soulmates. And he was contemplating the nature of their souls at that moment. Now, Kabbalistically speaking, Hopefully you're familiar with Dina and Shechem. Dina and Shechem are, Dina was the daughter of Yaakov, of Jacob. And Dina gets raped by Shechem. And it's a whole episode in in the Torah. You can read it. There's a big chunk of space dedicated to it. And Shechem wants to marry Dina. And then the brothers get retribution on the entire village of Shechem. And they wipe them out. And Yaakov is not happy about this necessarily, and it's a whole episode. But, in terms of reincarnation, we say that Cosby and Zimri were the reincarnation of Dina and Shechem. Not only that, not only that, but that Cosby and Zimri become reincarnated again as the souls of Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Akiva's second wife. Now, let me tell you the story of that, and there's sort of an interesting personal connection I have to that that I want to share with you. Um, There was a man in ancient Rome named Ternus Rufus, who was, like, not a great guy. A Roman officer. And the Jews were greatly oppressed by the Romans um, at this period. They were like Nazis, really. Like actual Nazis. And... um, and this Turnus Rufus came home one day, and he was upset. And his wife, who was beautiful, his wife said, "Why are you upset?" And he said um, that they, that old man, you know, Rabbi Akiva, got the best of me in the marketplace. Meaning, he would try to debate him, or outwit him, or insult him. But, you know, try and, getting the la- try and get the last word in on Rabbi Akiva, right? I mean, Rabbi Akiva was, in some level, compared or considered greater than Moses. Moses himself said that Rabbi Akiva is bigger than me. Moses says this. So, Rabbi Akiva was beyond awesome. So, Turnus Rufus' wife says, I'll get him. So she goes to the marketplace, and what she does is she opens up her robe and she exposes her nakedness to Rabbi Akiva. Now, you know, Rabbi Akiva is like a super holy guy. And so, how does he react? He spits, he cries, and then he laughs. And she's like, really like, whoa, like, what are you doing? And he said, I spit because what you did was disgusting. I cried because as beautiful as you are, you're going to end up being food for worms like everyone else. And I'll tell you why I laughed another time. And why did he laugh? Because he knew that he was going to marry her. You know, I guess in his wisdom, he understood that somehow, just in terms of divine providence, this is just my own speculation, he must have understood that God would protect him from this type of thing. And that if she exposed herself to him in this way, that there must have been a soul connection there. This is just, I'm just hypothesizing. Anyway, he ends up marrying her (laughs) later on. Later on. And she inherited a huge amount of wealth from this Roman guy. And the money went to Rabbi Akiva. So, so anyway, Zimri and Cosby become this couple. Now I'll tell you something personal. During one of my first dates with my wife, And this was before I knew this story about Rabbi Akiva. That's the main thing that you have to keep in mind. At one point, we're just sitting together, and I started laughing. And she, because I realized I was going to marry her. And then she said to me, why are you laughing? And I said, I'll tell you another time. (laughs) And then, (laughs) a period of time later, I heard this story. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) I know what that's about. (laughs) So, so what happens is, Pinchas comes in, and he's really, like, this is like, this is, remember, you remember what the scene is. It's like mass panic, and everything is falling apart. And Pinchas, Pinchas goes up to Moshe, and says, isn't it true that the halacha is, that if they're in the act right now, that I can execute judgment under the laws of the zealous one. You know, to awkwardly translate it into English. And Moshe says, you know what, the one who reads the halacha can go and perform it. He doesn't tell him to do it. He just cryptically answers that you're correct that that is the halakha, if you so choose to execute it. Okay. Now, the reason why, the reason why that's a very significant um, kind of like uh, phraseology that Moshe does is, is because, um, well, let's let's put that aside for now. M- more more, more uh, relevant. To, to our discussion right now, is, is, that, is that Pinchas asks Moshe, what is the halacha? He goes up to his rav and asks permission from the rabbi, is this the proper thing for me to do right now? And Moshe essentially says, yes. Okay, that's, that's the key point. And, and I'll explain to you why that's the key point. Because, remember... Pinchas is the son of Elazar. Okay? And Elazar is the son of Aaron. Okay? So Aaron, the high priest's grandson, is Pinchas. Okay? Aaron has four sons. One of them being Pinchas' father. Okay? Aaron has four sons. Two of them have died. Nadav and Abihu have died. Alright? They died when the Mishkan, the holy tabernacle in the desert, was, was dedicated. And basically, there's a whole list of things that apparently they did wrong. And it's, it's like, the, it's like a laundry list, you know? And, and one of the things, and it's sort of like a debate, well, which one did they do exactly? One of the things that they did was they paskind halacha themselves in front of Moshe and Aaron. Meaning to say, they determined what the law was in front of the two great authorities of the day. And that's wrong. You have to go to an authority. Okay? So, so Pinchas, before he acts, asks Moshe what to do. Now, you're, you're going to see how important that is in a moment. In doing so, he performed a tikkun, a rectification, for Nadav and Avihu, who didn't ask Moshe. All right, now listen very carefully what's about to happen. Pinchas goes in, and it says that he took the top of his spear off, right, the pointed part, and he put it in his robe, so it looks like he's just got a walking stick, all right? And he goes up to the tent where Cosby and Zimri are up to, I don't know, 423 at this point, whatever whatever it is, you know, and the guards want to stop him. And he says, you know, is, he says back to them, uh, is, is Shimon more righteous than Levi? Meaning, meaning to say that, wait a second, you know, like, uh, or no, I'm sorry, is Levi, because Pinchas is from the tribe of Levi, is Levi more righteous than Shimon? Meaning, you know, I want to I wanna take part in the festivities as well. And they go, okay, you can go in. So he goes in, he puts on his spear, and at this point, he's so terrified because like the Shimonites are basically looking to guard and protect and to kill anyone who's sapping their activities. It's mayhem at this point, right? Pinchas gets so scared that his soul literally flies out of his body. Okay, what I'm telling you right now is in the Zohar. His soul flies out of his body, and now listen carefully. The souls of Nada and Avihu fly into his body. Now, I wanted to bring you a chart. I'm going to, if you look on Torah on iTunes.com, you'll see the graphic that I'm referring to right now. So I'm just going to ask you to do your best to imagine what I'm, what I'm, what I'm describing to you, Okay you see a, what I would call a pictogram. You see a snapshot of this entire story in the letter Pei. Pay, pay for Pinchas. That describes everything that's going on right now that I'm describing to you. Okay? The whole story is in the letter Pei. And what I mean by that is, you know, the letters are very, very exact the way we write them in the Torah scroll. And there's tons and tons of Torah describing the philosophy behind the letters. And one of the main books that I would uh, recommend to you is it's called The Wisdom of the Hebrew Alphabet. It's published by Art Scroll, and it's put together by Rabbi Munk. And it's one of the best books in the world. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. In one small book, you have a, a, like a, a whole overview of Jewish thought. And it's all based on the philosophy of the different letters in the Torah. And also, if you learn this book, it will give you so many insights into all of the rest of your learning. So really, try to pick up this book. If you ever want to give a a first book to someone who's getting interested in learning more Torah, this is an excellent book to give them. Because basically, you, you can become like, really like a... I mean, there's so much wisdom that you'll get In this this one gateway. So anyway. And this is actually in the book too. Not not the explanation that I'm going to explain to you. That's that's my explanation. But you'll see the picture in in the book of what I'm describing. Now according to Jewish law. There are precise ways of writing the letters. Okay. And I saw this in a halacha book with my own eyes. In terms of writing the letter pey. It has to be written in a way where in the blank space, in the white space in the middle of the letter Pei, you can see the letter Beis. So, in other words, the black outline of the letter Pei is there, like a normal letter. But in the middle of it, you'll see in white outline, you'll see the letter Bays. And uh, the next time you have an Aliyah and you go up to the Torah... You'll notice that the letter Pei is actually bigger than the other letters because you have to put the letter Beis in the middle of it. And if you actually stare at the letter Pei in the, in the Torah, you'll see this white fire letter Beis pop out at you. It's, it's, it's quite extraordinary. Okay. So, so what's the pictogram? What, what is the picture? Pei is the first letter of Pinchas, right? Beis is the number two. So, in the middle of Pinchas, you have the two Neshamas, one of Nadav and one of Avihu, right in the middle of Pinchas. So, pay and bays. Now, that came to me a couple of years ago. This past week, I was giving over this thought to some people, and afterwards, it was like a very intense, meaningful sheer class that had taken place and I was sort of moved by it and I was in my car driving home afterwards and I was thanking God. I said, God thank you for teaching me Torah. Thank you for, because I was able to really learn the whole story of Pinchas inside the Gomorrah. It's in Sechta Sanhedrin. And I was able to see these various accounts and it was a whole other dimension. And so I said, thank you God for teaching me Torah. Thank you for showing me The Gomorrah on page Pei Bays. (laughs) And I was like, I almost crashed my car at that moment. Because this entire account of Pinchas slaying Cosby and Zimri is on Pei Bays. The exact dynamic of what's taking place. So, the Torah is very infinite. It's endlessly infinite. It's God is endlessly exact. Everything is very exact. So it doesn't mean it's predetermined. We have free choice But everything is exact. Everything is exact. So the thing is, is that we have to understand that God is always running the world with extreme exactness. And when we don't see it, it doesn't mean that it's not exact. It just means that we don't see it. But it never isn't exact. But every once in a while he shows us moments. You know, like the Rambam says, as, as an example, a person traveling through the desert and there's a flash of lightning and then all of a sudden you're able to see the landscape and then it goes black again. So that's us in life. We have like little moments where we see clarity and we have to like really like remember what we've seen. Because then it goes away. That's how God runs the world. He gives us flashes, and then it's up to us. So, so Pinchas comes in. Now he's got the souls of Nadav and Avihu in him. Now, this is very interesting also. Because, basically, Pinchas was not a Kohen. And at this point in Jewish history, the only people who could become Kahanam were, were the children of... Um, uh, Aaron and Aaron's four sons. And so since Pinchas was already born, when God made that initial group, Pinchas was removed from, the, from becoming a Kohen, and now the only Kohanim were the future sons of Aaron and his four immediate sons. So he was a grandson, so he's out of the loop. But God makes him a Kohen. So how could God make him a Kohen? Well, God can do anything that he likes. But, you see something interesting. At that point, he had the souls of Nadav and Avihu inside of him. So, he had the DNA at that point of it being a Kohen. So God, and then God makes him a Kohen right after that. So, just the mechanics of it are so fascinating. Okay. So, so now listen to this. I told you that Pinchas was the rectification of the worship of Baal Pior. And that Pincha stands for circumcision. Well, he spears the two of them right at the intimate point where they're connected. Okay? So, that has the flavor of circumcision. <laughs> Although that's not customarily how it's done. <laughs> um, but we're going to get a little more precise in a moment. Um, Remember, the whole ethos of the of of, of of Midian was this worship of Baal Pur, which we had fallen into, which was this idea of whatever comes out of me is fantastic and I am worshipping my own natural state and I am not seeing the importance or the necessity um, of self improvement, because I am what I am and this is me. That's the pior thing on one side. On the other side, you have circumcision, which is that God deliberately creates this extra piece of skin on our body that we have to take off. God creates such a fabulous creation of a human being. He can't create us without this flap of skin. Of course he can. But he leaves that as our job, the understanding that we have to uplift ourselves and improve ourselves. That's the point. So you see how circumcision is the counterbalance to Baal Peor, right? And how Pinchas, by slaying Cosby and Zimri, who are sort of like continuing this practice, I don't know if Zimri actually worshipped um, in that way. It doesn't seem that he did, by the way. But nonetheless, it's part and parcel of what was going on. So now listen to this. And then we're going to get back to the idea of soulmates, that they were soulmates in a moment. Okay? Which is that when Adam, when the first human being was created in the Garden of Eden, he was actually created without an orla. All right? So he didn't have that extra flat. But but when we were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, he grew it. Okay? So again, that makes sense because Orla, that extra piece of skin, means concealment. And when we leave the Garden of Eden, all of a sudden God's hand in the world becomes radically more concealed. So it's very parallel to think that on a human being that that the human body would reflect what was going on in the general world at that point, as there's more concealment in the world on the body itself, there's this aspect of concealment as well. That's the idea that Adam grows this orla when we're outside the Garden of Eden. Now listen, on a, on a soul level. It says that since every human being that ever lived des- descended from Adam, okay. and by the way, genetically speaking, they found that we have something like four common mothers this was a big story on the on the internet just uh, a few years ago. We have or four or seven something like that. I mean, science is still catching up with the Torah, but but they've made this amazing insight that we have like a few common ancestors, and so that's of course the Torah count as well. By the way, something that the Kuzari brings, which is very interesting as well, is what is this whole idea of the seven day week? Why is it that every culture around the world has a seven-day week? Like, if you think about that, we just take that for granted. We don't think twice about it. But, why, or even why have a concept of a week at all? But the idea that you naturally segment, segment time into a seven-day cycle, and that every culture around the world does that, that also shows that we all have a common ancestor. Okay, so these are these are different things to think about. But but, anyway, all souls come from Adam, so the question is what part of Adam? So, I saw from Rabbi Wolfson something really amazing. You ready for this? Zimri, right was from the orla of Adam that 's the part of the body that Zimri was from, and so on a soul level when Pincha slays Zimri, it really is like a soul level type circumcision that's done. Some just it's far out, you know? Just the, the whole dynamics of that. Okay, now let's get back to the soulmate idea. So according to the Ishbitsare revi, you see, Dina and Shem, that was a really tragic relationship. You know? And then Cosby and Zimri, they come back, and then of course it comes back as Rabbi Kiva and his second wife. So Moshe Rabbeinu, according to the Ishbitzer Rebbe, saw that these souls actually belonged to each other on some level, but that it wasn't the right time. And he was kind of like working through the, working through the math, so to speak, when, when Pinchas goes and does his thing. So, and by the way, there's an opinion in the Gomorrah, you just should know, it's Shmuel in the Gomorrah, that, that that Pinchas didn't ask uh, Moshe. Okay? There's, 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 that's not the standard opinion, by the way. It's not what Rashi, Rashi brings. It's not what the Zohar brings. But that's Shmuel in the, in the Gomorrah. So that exists, that he just went on his own. And that on some level he may have stopped this couple from getting together. But, clearly, even, and this is the point, even if you want to say that they were soulmates, they were not supposed to get together in that way at that time. And there is a concept, and the the Gomorrah uses this phrase in terms of um, King David and Bathsheba. That they were destined to be together from the sixth day of creation. But in the way they got together, it wasn't so, in terms of the eyes of the people, wasn't so upright. David didn't make a mistake. He did everything right. But at the same time, the way it was perceived by the public was that something wrong had gone down. Okay? And what they call that, when a couple gets together at the wrong time, they say it's like eating unripe grapes which is a very poetic and interesting, interesting phraseology. Eating unripe grapes. So, so, again, you might find yourself... You know, you see it, I see it today. I'll give you what I think is a modern example of this. There are, there are couples, and I know of many couples like this, that when they get married, the, 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 the woman is not Jewish. And then the, they become inspired, and then over the course of the marriage, the woman converts, or she converts orthodox, or whatever it is. And then, and, and, and they, they, they come to this place of like, really achieving the full revelation of, of being soulmates with each other. You know? But that it doesn't always start off that way. Luckily, we, Pinchas isn't running around with his spear and, and things like that, you know? But, um, but nonetheless, we have to get together in the right time. In the right time. And, and you can always ask for guidance. You can always ask for guidance. And let the halakha be your guide. The halakha is the divine flow. It's translated as law, but that's a very um, academic translation of halakha. Halakha means to walk. It means to flow. And when you put yourself in that flow of the universe, then you put yourself in harmony with yourself and everything else. Okay. Now, let me transition to the macro right now. And I'm going to show you how you see all of these things. And I'm taking this from Rabbi Wolfson. And I'm going to show you how all of these components play out on the broader scale. Now, we have... We're in a period right now of a 10-week cycle. And this 10-week cycle ends with Rosh Hashanah. So in other words, it's 10 weeks and then Rosh Hashanah. All right? Now, this 10-week period that we're in right now is divided up into two parts. Three weeks, also known as the three weeks, and seven weeks. The seven weeks after the three weeks, meaning after Tisha B'Av. Okay? So the first part of the cycle, the three weeks, are Haftorahs that we read in Shul every Shabbos of rebuke. That's God saying, get your act together, otherwise I'm going to destroy the Holy Temple. Okay? So that's the first three weeks culminating in Tishabav. Then you have the next seven weeks, which are Haftorahs of consolation, which is God says, you know something, no matter what, I love you, and it's going to get better. Okay? So again, taken as a unit, that's ten weeks. Rabbi Wolfson points out something very, very deep, and he's learning it from other sources. Which is that these ten weeks parallel the ten spherod. Again, the ten spherod are the energies that God used to create the universe with. And remember, I was talking about it on a personal level, and now we're going to talk about it on a on a broader cosmic level. And remember, each person has the 10 spheroid inside of them. So whatever character improvement you make on yourself reverberates on the entire world. But now let's look at the larger map of the world. Okay? In terms of the 10 spheroid, the 10 spheroid are also divided into two groups, the top three and the bottom seven, just like the weeks in this period of the year. The bottom seven are the ones that have a slightly more physical aspect to them. And those relate more directly to to our lives and to this physical universe. Then you have the top three spheroid, which are beyond, 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 beyond. Right? Like we can't even talk about them. The the light is so high. Okay? So three and seven. So now, isn't it interesting that the tops three Sphero, which are the most spiritual of the Sphero, relate to the three dark weeks of the calendar. In Tammuz and Av, the three dark weeks leading up to the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, or we also, our tradition is on Tisha B'Av, Mashiach is born. So you might ask yourself, how is it, how is it that that if That energy is so exalted and so high, the top, top energy, why does it correlate with these three dark weeks? You hear? And the answer is because at this point in history, we don't have vessels for this level of light yet. You see, imagine like you're really thirsty. And you say, oh, please give me a drink of water. And I go, I want to give you a drink of water. So I take a fire hose And I unleash it in front of your face. Well, you know, thanks a lot, right? That hurt. And I'm still thirsty. Right? Because I don't have vessels to hold what you gave me. But didn't I give you water? I gave you more water than you could have hoped for. Well, yeah, but I wasn't able to access it. That's, that's the nature of this light at this point. This light is coming, the, the, the top three spherot, which are correlating with these three weeks, it's such an exalted light that if we are in fixed, if we are in proper vessels yet, we can't contain this light yet. And that's what we're trying to do. That's what the mitzvot are. The mitzvot are turning yourself into a proper vessel. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. And it's getting us all in harmony with each other and in harmony with the world. And when we go along our path and flow like we're supposed to flow, then all of a sudden we have vessels for this highest light and the world gets fixed. That's the whole point. Now, I want to conclude with something that I think is really deep. Okay? This is something that came to me. Pinchas is the same gematria as Yitzchak. Okay? Pinchas and Yitzchak are the same gematria. That means the same numerical equivalent, which means, spiritually speaking, there's a DNA match between the two. OK, so Yitzchak, Pinchas is the one who circumcises, right? We've seen that on a number of levels. And remember, when we have a bris ceremony, the first thing that we do at the bris ceremony is that we read about Pinchas. OK, so Pinchas is the one who circumcises. Yitzchak is the first Jew who becomes circumcised. And it's the same gamatria. Pinchas and Yitzchak. Yitzchak at eight days is the first eight-day year old, right? That's the proper time of the bris. All right? And the idea is that why at that age, right? The Muslims do it at 13. So at 13, you know what you're doing. The idea of doing it at eight is you're attaching yourself beyond the rational to the super-rational. That your connection to God is even higher than you understand. That's the idea of doing it on the eighth day, when the baby can't articulate or understand the full significance of what's being done. Okay? So again, Pinchas is the one who circumcises, Yitzchak is the first one who's circumcised, and they're both the same gematria. So now, let me phrase it another way. Pinchas is the Revealer. Yitzchak is that which is revealed. And they're happening simultaneously. Because Pinchas and Yitzchak are the exact same Gematria. So the Revealer and the Revealed are happening simultaneously. What happens... What happens when a person aligns themselves with the energies of the universe? They have to circumcise their actions on some level. You know, I was doing this, and now I'm not doing it anymore. They cut themselves off from a particular activity. But what comes from that action Something becomes revealed. All of a sudden you can see God's light through them. Because at that moment. They're in harmony with the universe. So it makes sense. That the circumciser. And the circumcised. Are the same person. The one who. Reveals. Reveals. And the one who is revealed are simultaneously the same one. And that's what's going to happen with these three weeks. Because during these three weeks we're always reading the Parsha of Pinchas.